right, so we're reading from Romans. Um, so because we don't have the words on the screen, if you do want to get them on your phone or in your Bible, uh, we're starting in chapter 14, so Romans 14, and we're starting at verse 17. And then we're going to read through to chapter 15, verse 13. So I'll just give you a moment to find that, Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's great to see you all here this morning. Let me pray before we uh, get into God's Word together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, show us your truth this morning. Reveal to us Uh, your mercy and your grace and grow in us the fruit of the Spirit, uh, the fruit of joy and peace. Amen. Now before I get started, I might want to go get my other folder because this one's got last week's sermon in it and as great as it would be for those of you who weren't here last week, I'll get, (laughs) I can give that to you, you can look at it later. Excellent. 
Had a bit of a heart attack there. I have two of these black folders because sometimes I leave one at I have one in the office and one at home and then, you know, either way, I've got one when I need one to put my notes in. Uh, well, uh, as we begin, as we think about this uh, fruit, this fruit that God <clears throat> grows in our lives, who doesn't want more joy and peace in life? Lasting joy, it's, it's something we all want, it's something we all crave. A strong sense of peace is something we all desire. But what do you associate with joy? Is it being in the company of friends and family? Or hearing really good news that just makes you want to jump for joy? Or is it being out in God's creation, enjoying the colours of spring uh, and the warmth of the sun? What about peace? What do you associate with peace? Is it having a clear mind, being free from worry, or being comfortable? comfortable in your own skin or or is it the feeling of acceptance being valued by others that gives you that sense of peace we all want more joy and peace and yet they prove so elusive don't they life is busy especially this time of year there's so many things going on our our jobs are demanding family life is hectic there's always someone or something vying for your attention and so pressure builds Anxiety grows. There are strained relationships to cope with. There's boring, pointless work to do before the end of the year. There's ambiguity that just sits there, unresolved. Lots of uncertainties. And all of this just swirls around in a foggy chaos. It's exhausting just thinking about it, isn't it? Joy and peace, if only. And yet if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, joy and peace should characterise you. Joy and peace should mark you out because the fruit of the Spirit is love, as we saw last week. Joy, peace. So if this is true, if these are two of the qualities that the Spirit grows in our lives, why are they often missing in our lives? Could it be a case of spiritual amnesia where we forget uh, the wonderful mercy of God or, or could we be looking in the wrong places for this ultimate joy, this ultimate peace? Could we be, could we be growing scrolling habits more than spiritual habits or fueling selfish patterns rather than gospel patterns? All of those things might impact on our sense of joy and peace in the Christian life. Because last week, as we saw from Galatians 5, we read in Galatians 5 that the Christian life is a battle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Let me remind you from Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, and it would be handy to have a screen at this point because we're going to be going around different places in the Bible, but you can work on your Bible-flicking skills this morning. Uh, Galatians 5, verse 17 For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. The flesh, our old sinful self that's still attached, that won't be done away with 
fully until Christ returns, it desires what's against the Spirit. And so there's a battle, a battle for joy and peace in the Christian life. But the encouragement is, as we walk by the Spirit, as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, we will bear this fruit. The Spirit awakens joy and gives peace that lasts and grows in us. The Spirit awakens joy and gives peace that lasts and grows in us. And that's what I'm hoping for us to see today. Now we'll look at peace and joy, we'll look at joy and peace separately, but before we do, notice how they go together. Uh, The first verse of that Romans Bible reading that we read, and the last one, bring joy and peace together. They're like twins. See how the Apostle Paul puts them alongside each other. Romans 14, 17, Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Or further along in Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and peace alongside one another in the Spirit. See, they're not just incidental byproducts of the Christian faith. Together, they're key signs, key signs of the kingdom. They mark out life with one another under Christ's rule. They're closely related and we'll come back to how they're related uh, soon. But what is joy? What is peace? And where are they found? Well, first, joy. Now, to understand what joy is, it's really worth clarifying what joy is not. When the Bible uses the word joy, or when the Lord calls us to rejoice, the Bible's not talking about happiness. Joy is not simply a feel-good emotion. To rejoice is not just a call to put on a happy face. To think of joy in this way only leads to feelings of guilt and feelings of shame when you don't feel like that. No, Christian joy is far richer, far more secure and far more significant and weighty than mere happiness. See, happiness is like indigestion. It comes and it goes. It's fickle. It doesn't last. Now, that doesn't mean when, with Christian joy that it, it can't make us feel happy. We are whole beings with emotions. We're not just rational beings. We're not just beings, people of the mind. We're people of the heart, of the mind, of the body, of, of spirit. We're, we're whole creatures and so we should still expect joy to bubble up inside us at different times. But hear this, Christian joy is not defined by or constrained by or contingent on happiness and that's important. That's why Peter can say to Christians suffering in 1 Peter chapter 1 in light of their salvation, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. It's why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Do you see that? 
Joy is the steady, constant gladness and satisfaction in all that God has given us, come what may. Sure, there are times when it spikes and and bursts in moments of happiness, but it's not reliant on those moments. It might help to think about Christian joy like a a well-made fire. I love a good fire uh, in the backyard, out camping, wherever basically. But think about a fire when it ignites. It's hungry and it catches all the kindling and, and the flames rise high and it's exciting and that's kind of like the joy of when we first come to know Jesus. But then as the fire settles and it creates a bed of hot burning logs and coals, well the flames, they settle down but the heat is hotter and steadier and strong and it's more like the joy of a mature believer at that point, constant and strong. The call to keep in step and to walk in the spirit is a call to fuel that fire of joy. See we're not passive when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, it's the spirit that does this work in us but we are active in cultivating it. But we won't know how to fuel joy if we don't know where to find joy, will we? So where is it found? Where can we find this constant, steady and lasting gladness? Well, there's three things that the Scriptures repeatedly show us that we should have our joy in. Three ways that the Spirit bears this fruit in our lives. And first and foremost, the believer finds joy in salvation. Now I know for many of us that's nothing new but perhaps you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you yearn for that joy that lasts. Well you're about to hear where to find that joy. But for most of us this is not new and yet it's absolutely foundational. So we need to be reminded of it, what is already true. You know sometimes we just want new things But sometimes what we really need the most is to be reminded of what's already true. And for the history of God's people, lasting joy has always been found in salvation. It was so in the Old Testament and it's even more so in the New Testament, in the salvation that Jesus has won for us. We're coming up to Christmas uh, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus And do you remember what the angel of the Lord declared on that day when Jesus was born? The angel said to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 verse 10 and 11, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. That's great news. And what happened straight after that great news was announced, this great news of joy? Well, right there before the eyes of the shepherds in the field, a whole multitude of the heavenly host praise God. They sing glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth. Peace and joy, they go together. Why? Because the saviour of the world has been born. Because people like you and me can now know forgiveness and have peace with God. But it's not just the words of the angels. Further along in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus 
disciples are sent out on a mission and when they returned, they came back with joy. They came back saying to Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. But listen to how Jesus responds. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Luke chapter 10, verse 20. He said to his disciples, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? In other words, rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice that your salvation is secure. Remembering our salvation fuels our joy. It's when we forget the mercy of God, the forgiveness He has won, the adoption that we have as sons and daughters of the living God, the sure hope that we have in the resurrection, the eternal life that starts now and goes on forever. When we forget these things, we become joyless. But when we remember, it's like throwing wood on the fire uh, that, that lights up and burns strong and settles. We need to remember what we already have in Jesus. Joy is found first and foremost in salvation, the salvation Jesus has won for us. Joy in salvation is the basis for all Christian joy and that includes joy in suffering. That's the second thing the scriptures show us to find our joy in, believe it or not. But suffering's bad, isn't it? And doesn't suffering by definition rob us of joy? How can they be related? Uh, Well, come with me to 1 Peter 1. I mentioned it earlier, 1 Peter 1. How does joy and suffering fit together? Peter says from verse 6, in all this, you know, in the salvation that is to be revealed for you, that you're being guarded for, that you're being prepared for when Christ returns, in all this you greatly rejoice, he says, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, Peter's explaining God's view of our suffering if we've put our trust in Jesus. If we have the Spirit, our suffering is not meaningless It has a purpose, whatever it might be, whether it be sickness or pain, hurt or persecution, whatever it is, all of it has a purpose and a reason. God allows us to suffer, why? So that our faith might be proved genuine and so that our faith might be refined, just like gold is refined by fire, your faith is refined by suffering. It's as we suffer that we learn more and more what it is to trust Jesus, what it means to trust him with the circumstances he's placed us in. And so despite these trials and through them, the Christian can have inexpressible and glorious joy because our suffering is playing its part, growing our faith by the power of the Spirit 
Romans 5 verse 3 says it like this, that we glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now that doesn't make suffering itself enjoyable, but it does mean we can rejoice while we suffer, despite our suffering, even in our suffering, because of what it's achieving in us, because of what God is achieving in us through it. It's kind of like putting a really big heavy log in the fire. Yes, it's big. Yes, it's heavy. Yes, it's going to take a while for the fire to deal with that, right? But in the end, it'll be absorbed into the fire and the fire will be stronger for it. In the same way, our suffering grows our faith and leads to a stronger faith. Now, this is um, countercultural. The world says, avoid pain at all costs, remove suffering, seek pleasure, be comfortable, then you'll find joy. But we don't need all the bad stuff to simply go away to be joyful. God's purpose is to use it to transform us and that's something to find joy in. So the scriptures call us to find joy in salvation and that means we can find joy even in suffering. But it also means that we find joy in others. I wonder if you've ever noticed this in the scriptures before. I wonder if you've ever experienced it yourself when your joy in Jesus and the salvation he gives overflows and, and you rejoice when you see others saved and others grow in the faith. Think about what Jesus um, says, or think about Jesus' words in Luke 15, the lost parables. He tells the parables of the lost sheep that's found, uh, the parable of the lost coin that's found. And then he says this, verse 10, Luke 15, verse 10, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. And then you get the parable of the lost son who returns to his estranged father and the father runs to him and welcomes him with joy. See, there is joy to be found, lasting joy, deep joy, when a person comes to Jesus and is saved because that person has come to know the same love, forgiveness and kindness of God that you know. Have you had that joy, that joy of seeing someone come to know the Lord Jesus and trust him? I was a Christian for a while before my brother became a Christian. I remember praying for him for two, three years, pretty consistently. And it's funny that it was when I'd given up, it's when I'd stopped praying for him, that he was saved. I've tasted that joy I know that joy. Do you know that joy? But of course, it's not just people coming to Christ that brings great joy. It's people growing in Christ that brings joy as well, isn't there? Paul, Peter and and John as well uh, all ooze with this, this joy in seeing others grow in the Lord. Just a few examples. Paul in Philippians chapter 4 verse 1, Philippians 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. Or Paul again, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 4, he says, 
Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Or what about John in 3 John 4 when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. This kind of joy, seeing others grow in Christ, seeing others serve and love one another like Jesus, it's kind of like putting a big long piece of wood in the fire and throwing petrol on it, maybe without the fumes that come with it. But you get the idea, you know, that the flame that just bursts, the fire that just bursts into flame and, and burns long and high. God has blessed us with one another for our joy, for our encouragement. Isn't that what was so great about coming back together after COVID as a church family? And hasn't it been a joy this year? as we've grown together in serving one another. It's been a joy to me anyway. Seeing the gospel fanned into flame uh, in the life of our church. There's joy to be found in salvation, there's joy in suffering and in others. But none of this is possible without peace, is it? Joy and peace go together. Now, just like with joy, to understand peace, it's worth clarifying what it's not. When the Bible uses the word peace, often, when the Bible uses the word peace, or when God calls us uh, to seek peace and pursue it, you know that verse? The Bible's not talking about being free from worry, simply. Peace is not just mindfulness. Uh, It's not just getting away from it all and, and kicking back and knocking the top off a cold one. Peace is not just getting more me time. When the Bible talks about peace, like joy, it's talking about something far richer, far deeper and far more wonderful. Because peace is deeply relational. See how it's tied to joy? Peace is deeply relational. It's the all-round well-being and contentment in harmony with God, with others, and with creation. The relationships that, that God has made us for, the relationships where to find our joy in. And so where is peace found? Well, first, peace is found in relationship with God, isn't it? And it's as we come into a relationship with God that we receive joy. Check out Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It's that, that picture of reconciliation. Enemies made friends. When we put our trust in Jesus who died for our sins, we're forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored and it gives us peace with nothing to fear on Judgment Day anymore. No anxiety about that verdict. We're declared righteous. But when Paul lists peace among the fruit of the Spirit, there's a different emphasis. 
The emphasis is on the peace that is found in relationship with one another. Since we are reconciled to God, we are called to be reconciled to one another, to live in peace with one another, to work for peace, especially among our brothers and sisters in Christ, is what we are called, all of us who follow Jesus, to do. It's something that has to be cultivated as we fight against the flesh. That's why the author of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 verse 12, make every effort, it's an effort, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. I think it's, it was there in that Romans reading as well, make every effort, I can't remember what verse, I should have written it down. But the thing is, peace doesn't come naturally to us in our sinfulness, does it? Division does, tribalism does, hatred is what comes more naturally, just jump on Twitter for a while or read a politician's memoirs or look honestly and truthfully at your own heart, at what's stirred up there, how you think about other people, how you relate to them when you speak about them. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 14 and 15, that passage we read before that that brings joy and peace together. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles, historically enemies, made one, brought together by the gospel. And there's this there's this division or potential division around um, whether to eat certain foods or not, whether to obey certain food laws uh, or not. There's, there's tension around how to express uh, their Christian faith in light of the gospel. But notice how Paul reminds the Romans, reminds Christians in Rome that they have the same Lord, the same Lord and that that, that they share the the same faith. Romans 14 verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does for God has accepted them. And so verse 19, further along, What's the outcome? What's the, what's the thing to do in, in light of this truth that, that, there is, um, that all are accepted by faith in Jesus, regardless of the barriers, regardless of the differences? And so, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort. That's the verse, I did write it down. Every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So what does that mean for us? What does it look like for us to seek peace and pursue it? Well, peace seeks to address and resolve conflicts among ourselves rather than simply adding to the conflict or causing them in the first place. Peace is being careful to avoid the kind of words and attitudes that can easily create misunderstanding. Peace is being quick to apologise and say sorry when we've wronged someone. Not sorry if I have, but sorry that 
I have. Because sorry, it, it can be the hardest word, but it's the first one that leads to peace. Peace is being careful with Jesus' instructions to follow them. And, and, and following his instructions means that we'll deal with grievances against one another in an orderly and in a helpful way rather than just going public with them on the internet. Peace avoids all kinds of gossip and idle talk. Peace is when you can pray with someone who you don't see eye to eye with on pretty much anything, but at the end of the prayer you can still say amen together. That's peace. There's a battle, isn't there? A battle for joy and peace in the Christian life. But I hope that while this is confronting uh, some of these things, I hope that it's also encouraging that you can look at your own life and reflect on it, that you can look at the lives of others in this room and that you can see this fruit, this fruit in your life and in the lives of others and be encouraged by it. Sometimes it grows very slowly. Sometimes it means a lot of pruning for it to grow. Sometimes it's hard to see which is, again, why we need to encourage each other when we do see it, don't we? Uh, But let me finish with Paul's... It's a bit of a prayer uh, in Romans 15. Um, Romans 15, verse 5, Paul says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind... And with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would be growing joy and peace in our lives. We pray that you would enable us by your Spirit to cultivate all of this singular fruit that we read in Galatians 5. And today, uh, particularly, we think of joy and peace, these characteristics. Lord, help us to see where we need to repent and confront us with our sin, Uh, but also help us to see and be encouraged by the fruit that you have